You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So there was a study done not too long ago, and it fits with this series really well. I think there were a couple of hundred people involved, and 50% of them agreed that this occurred. So the idea, the theory is that if you look into a mirror and you focus on your eyes, nothing else on your face, just your eyes, then the other parts of your face begin to fade. It's kind of like if you have a red dot on a white sheet of paper and a blue outline. If you focus at the red dot long enough, then the blue dot fades. In other words, our brains can only retain so much information at a time. And what it deems irrelevant in any given moment begins to fade, kind of like right now, as you listen or as you sleep through this sermon, you're totally unaware of your breathing patterns, how your clothes feel against your skin, or maybe even some other delicate sounds going on around you because you're focused on this and what your brain deems relevant. That's what it focuses on. Everything else fades. So 50% of people said, as they stared into this mirror, they noticed as they looked into their eyes that their forehead began to fade or their cheeks began to change shape. And they also said it was interesting because the brain, when it starts to have things that it remembers, it doesn't decide or discern whether it's good or bad, something scary or not scary. It just has memories and tries to clue or piece the puzzle back together. So the longer the people stared, the more their face began to change shape. And they actually saw monsters. They saw monsters from movies they had watched. And I don't know, maybe you watch horror films, maybe you don't, we don't in our family. But some of them flooded back into their memory and they saw that as they stared into the, into the mirror. Well, how relevant is that for this series? Because the longer you and I take a close look at our lives, if we take the time to stare and really gaze and focus on certain areas, and maybe you and I would agree that wow, there really are monsters within. Monty did a phenomenal job talking about the monster of guilt and the monster of anger. And now we're going to talk about greed. And as I say that word, I'm sure some of you are ready to tap out and say, well, that doesn't apply to me because it's so easy to hear the word greed and draw a picture of it. Say, oh, that's what greed looks like. I've seen it before and I know that that's not me. So this really doesn't pertain But what we're going to look at here in a few moments are four stories, two from the Old Testament, two from the New Testament. And we're going to see that greed, it's a shapeshifter as well. And the longer you stare at this concept of greed, you see that, wow, it is a monster. And maybe it's a monster within me. And you know, when you watch a scary film, what typically happens? You've got one isolated character and they're running and we're on the edge of our seats thinking, what are you doing? Why did you put yourself in this position? I would have never done that. And we look at this character and they're so unaware. They're so ignorant. They can't believe that the monster's about to come out and get them, right? And we would never do that. In some of the movies we're watching and we're thinking, watch out, it's about to happen. I think sometimes God is watching the movie of our lives play out. And maybe he asks the question, oh, why are you being so ignorant right now? You're so unaware. Watch out. 
At least that's what I've deduced from this parable or this experience that Jesus has with a guy. He tells a story about a man who is rich, so rich that he wants to build bigger barns and bigger houses to keep all of his wealth in. And as the story goes, you get the impression that Jesus is totally against wealth, but I want to make a caveat right up front. And I want you to know two things about greed before we define it and see how it plays out in our lives. One, if you're successful with your resources, that's not fundamentally biblically wrong. Two, if you're successful with your relationships, that's not wrong either. If you have a personal plan or a family plan that's established on biblical principles, you're in good shape. So I don't want you hearing that success is synonymous with greed. What greed is, is when we allow our resources or our relationships and the responsibility we have to steward those as well as we can to be replaced by a reckless self-interest. And that's the point of Jesus' teaching. We see it in Luke chapter 12. Notice verse 15. Jesus said, hey, watch out. Be on your guard. Don't put yourself in certain situations. Why would you do that? Why would you make that move? Can't you see what's right around the corner? Watch out, be on your guard against greed because greed isn't just this picture that we paint and say, oh, that's what it looks like. There's all kinds of greed. And when you look at this Greek word for all kinds, it means you take everything. So you take this concept of greed and then you break it down into its distinct parts. And greed has several ways that it plays out. And that's what we're gonna look at. But I wanna give you this definition for greed. Greed is simply a reckless self-interest. We're called to care for ourselves, we're called to care for others. But when the self-interest becomes reckless, that begins to define greed. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And way back when, in the Garden of Eden, some of you know this story, Adam and Eve, God has planted some trees and said, hey, you can have this. He's planted one and said, I don't want you having that. It's going to cause trouble. If you go that direction, just stay away from it. And what we see in this story from Genesis that we'll read in just a moment is that greed, greed really is humanity's hangup. Greed goes all the way back to the garden. And it's not, it's not when sin or greed enters this world and it causes death and destruction. It's not this huge evil sin. It's simply somebody taking on a little bit more. They want more. And we're going to see that more actually makes things worse. We'll read it. Genesis 2. Notice the language here. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground. Trees that were, one, pleasing to the eye. And, two, good for food. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree that she shouldn't be hanging around was, one, good for food, and two, pleasing to the eye, and three, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. God said, no, 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 no. I've made stuff that's good for these two reasons. Enjoy. But Eve sees something and she's like, wait a minute. There's something else about that. 
there's something that could offer me. There's something that could provide. I want it. So it's not just this, it's not this huge scene of evil. It's just a small act of disobedience that changes up the cosmos. And sin and death come into the world through this simply because Eve wanted more. More than what God had allotted. More than what God had given her. And what's really puzzling about that is that she was in a search for wisdom. Wisdom apart from what God had ordained. And millennia later, here we are, still as a human race, still trying to seek wisdom that's detached from God. So several years ago, me and one of my friends, we were taking another friend to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, this friend had special needs and we were taking care of him. Going to stay overnight a few nights. He had a couple of tests to be run and we wanted to hang around, check out the results, make sure he was in good shape. And on our way down, he was driving the first lag. I was going to drive the second round. We're talking and at the right moment, I insert a right turn so we can start talking about God. And some things come up in conversation that I was previously unaware about this guy. And I remember the conversation evolved into this statement. He said, yeah, 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 David. And then he chuckles. And, and not a chuckle like Micah does when he's praying, you know, hey, God, ha, 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 ha. No, don't tell him I said that, okay? Not, oh, Micah, my man. So not one of those chuckles, right? Not one of those chuckles. But a, like a, 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 self, a self-disgust, if you will, And he says, David, you don't understand what I've done. And I've come to terms. And here's the scary part. He said, I've come to terms. I'm good. I understand that God doesn't want me. Wow. So when Eve takes this fruit that's good for wisdom as she sees it, what does she do? She eats and then she realizes something about herself. She's naked. So she runs, she hides from God and you can make a case from the text that she's also hiding from her husband. I think my friend was doing what Adam and Eve are doing. They have this realization, this moment of wisdom that's not built on what God wants or what he has said or his truth, but something we've come up with, something we've saw, something we've discerned. And I think my friend is hiding just like Adam and Eve were hiding. So when you think about greed, it's not just about stuff. It's about this idea of being free. But this free, this freedom that we want can turn into fear. So Eve realizes this thing about herself. She's pursuing wisdom. She realizes this thing about herself. And then she goes and she's, she hides because she's scared. What, if you could fill in this blank, what would you do? But how would you word it? Because we're, we're searching for wisdom, but I think in some ways we're wanting more and more and more. And if we don't have that more, then maybe we feel like we're not who we should be. So how would you do this? Since I don't have A or since I don't have, I don't feel like I'm the, I should be. How would you fill in those blanks? And then I would ask you, is that really accurate? Because you're probably not a horrible person, just like Eve wasn't horrible. But greed slipped in and she wanted more than what God wanted her to have. And now you're using worldly wisdom to define who you really are. But actually you're hiding. You're hiding. 
maybe from God, maybe from other people. Your freedom to choose has morphed into fear. So when you think about greed, it's not just about free. I think greed also, greed is wrapped up with this idea of stuff. We, you know, we, we can't get around it. I'm not trying to downplay that greed's not connected to possessions or materialism or anything like that. But I want us to be clear about what that actually looks like. Uh, when you think about greed, it is related to stuff. Greed, greed wants stuff. And as we're going to see in just a moment in our second story, there's this guy who runs up to Jesus and he's got tons of stuff, but the stuff isn't doing it for him. So he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, I, I need your help on something. I'm just not fulfilled. I've got everything. I think I'm doing everything I should be doing, but something's missing. And what is it? And when we, when we read this story, I want you to be thinking about What's really required from you and from me when we want to follow this great God in whose image we've been created? Let's read the story. It comes from Mark chapter 10. So this guy runs up to Jesus and he fell on his knees and he says, good teacher. And let's just hang out here on this screen for a second. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I want in on heaven. What do I have to do? And I see that happening so frequently. We get, this, we get this question in our minds. What must I do? And I think this guy, the more I read this story, the more I read it, I think he's coming to Jesus, not really inquiring, hey, I know I gotta do something, just tell me what it is and I'll do it. It's more along the lines of he's coming to Jesus and he already has it worked out. He's already got it sorted out in his mind or in his heart what he wants Jesus to say. So he runs up to him and says, hey, what must I do? And he's waiting on Jesus to affirm whether he's going to do, whether he can do what he already has decided he wants to do. I see that happening a lot. What must I do? I see it happen in families where someone says, hey, to be a good dad, you've got to do this. And the person says, I don't have time for that. I can't. So they leave. I see it happening when people get plugged into a church or just start getting plugged into a church. And then you understand what ownership or really following Jesus looks like. And sometimes it's not easy. And what's really required. So you get plugged into a church and then there's a left turn, comes out of nowhere. Maybe something happens, ruffles your feathers a little bit and, and you leave. What am I supposed to do? Is that a question that you're asking God in prayer? What must I do so that he can really direct you or have you already decided and you're coming to him to see if he can work that in as well? And if he's not, then, well, I'm done. So this guy says, what can I do? And Jesus says, well, take care of the commandments. Don't kill, cheat, steal, all that stuff. And this guy's like, I'm good. I've done that since I was a kid. And then Jesus says, well, there is one thing you're lacking. I know you got a lot of stuff. Why don't you get rid of it? and follow me. And before we read the text that's behind me, in this church, there's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of wealth in this church. And I want you to know from experience and from listening to other people, it's used well. It's used wisely. I know I've been touched, and I know many of you have too, from some wealthy people in here who are good stewards of what God has blessed them with. Keep that rolling. 
good for you. It is powerful when that takes place. Yeah, I hear some people clapping. You can clap for that. That's okay. When someone does something great, you can honor that, especially when it's done in the name of God. But this guy that we call the rich young ruler, he has a different take on it. So Jesus says, get rid of your stuff. And at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. The word sad is kind of an understatement. It actually means gripped with grief. In other words, the thought that this guy would have to get rid of his stuff grips this guy with grief. And he's like, there's no way I can do that. Because when you're gripped with grief because of stuff, it's an indication that your stuff, it's an extension of you. So if someone threatens your possessions, it's like threatening you personally. Let me tell you two stories and then you see how they shake out. You know, we can't dialogue, we really can't talk about it right now. But metaphorically, you tell me what you think about it, okay? Story one, I was about 10 years old and I lived in a house where if you walked out of the back door, there was a yard of about 20 feet deep, then the road, then the sidewalk and about a three foot patch of grass and then the school. So I never had an excuse to be late or miss school, right? So in that road, I was playing football with my friend one day and we had one of these Nerf footballs. Not even a real football, it was a Nerf ball. And we're throwing it. And our neighbor has this new van. It's one of the ones that had the kind of the high arced roof where they just started putting in the DVD systems and stuff like that. So we're throwing this and the ball, we're missing some catches, the ball never hits the van. But the guy comes out on the porch and he's being dead serious. He's not joking. He's being dead serious and he says, David, if that ball hits my van, I'll break your neck. I'm 10. Come on, it's Nerf. When you threaten, if someone is greedy because of stuff, their stuff is an extension of who they are. And to damage it or threaten it is to damage or or personally threaten them. Fast forward a few years, I'm hanging out with my mentor. I've told you about him before. We're in his office at his home and he has this wood thing that has an odd shape to it. It almost looks like something from the Middle Ages. Very crafty, really neat. And I ask him what he is and he unfolds it in this way. It's actually in my office now. It's really cool. He unfolds it and it's just a book holder. I felt kind of silly after I asked him. It just holds a book, but it's so neat. And I just made a big fuss over it. So he looks at me and with all seriousness, just as serious as the guy who said, I'll break your neck. He says, David, if I have something that you really, really want, just let me know and it's yours. So I took this guy to the cleaners. I got his book thing and no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But did you see the contrast? The freedom with which this guy could let go of his stuff was beautiful. And I see people in this church frequently letting go of their stuff. Let me speak to the students and young people and anyone just getting started out in life just for a moment. Can I have your attention? If you look at my life and you think about it in terms of years, then I'm, I'm in halftime. I'm, I'm coming back out of the locker room, about to go back onto the court for the second half. 
And some of you are just starting out. You're just starting out this game of life. And I know when you're just starting out, there's a lot of energy. You know, you've got your warm-up gear on, you're going down the court, shooting the warm-up layups, you're stretching, all that stuff. There's a lot of energy and excitement when you're just starting out. And I'm thinking, you're just starting out, and this stuff is going to try to seize you. And you're, one, you're going to want to get a great education and a great job. I get that. I really do. Same here. You're going to want to get a great house, great income, so you can take care of your kids and your family. Totally get that. Same here. I understand that. But now that I'm at halftime, and I'm about to come back out of the locker room in the second half, I'm seeing something that I didn't see right before the game started, when I was just starting out in the game of life. I'm seeing that sometimes life can play a better defense than I anticipated. Or maybe the first half didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I'm coming out of halftime, I'm thinking, wow, what is really, really important to me, to my family, most, most of all, to God? And I'm seeing something that I didn't see in the first half, and that's there's an end to this game. There's only two quarters left. You don't see that when the game's just starting. When you're coming out of halftime, you see this thing's going to end someday. Eric Erickson is a psychologist, and he said, once you get to a certain stage in life, eighth stage, once you get to the certain stage of life, you start to look back, and you're not just having memories pop into your mind. You're actually intentionally looking back over the course of your life, and you're thinking about it. You're fixed on it, and you're going to be you're going to experience a sense of fulfillment or a sense of regret. You're going to look back and say, I'm so glad I did that. Or you're going to look back and say, I wish I had done this. I saw a Facebook post, uh, a meme with Barbara Bush who passed away recently and where she said, you never get to the end of your life and regret spending time with your family and your friends. If you're just starting out, just starting out this game, don't get caught up in this stuff cycle. It's okay to be successful, but don't have a reckless self-interest. It can destroy your relationship with God and with other people, just like this guy who leaves, says, my stuff is who I am. I'm nothing without it. Third story we won't spend so much time on, but it's really powerful what happens here because greed is about wanting to be free. It's about stuff, but it's also about a look. It's about a look, if you will, and not necessarily like how we look when we're looking in the mirror, but how others see life and we, our lives. And we talk a lot about and kind of joke about it. Life can be stinky through the week. And then we come to church and everybody looks amazing. And then life is just going great for everyone. Say, hey, how's it going? Great, perfect, couldn't be better and all that stuff. And really, all of us have it all together? Come on, that can't be true. Week in and week out. But that's how it looks right now. It looks that way. So this story is about a guy and a gal named Ananias and Sapphira. And they do something. When you read the text, it seems minuscule. It seems like no big deal. And it kind of seems like something you and I may do every day. But Peter frames it and says, no, this is big time. This is serious 
business what's happening here. What happens is this, is, this guy, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell some land and they give some to the church and they hold some back. That's pretty cool, right? But it looks differently. They made it look as if they had given all of it to the church, all of it to God. And that's a big problem. Here's what the text says. Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Peter gets word of it, and he says, what? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men. You've lied to God. This is also reckless self-interest. And some of us, really get hung up on how others see us. We want things to look a certain way. We're covering over something. And when are you going to uncover it? How much guilt do you have to feel about it before you deal with it? How much damage has to be done before you say, look, this isn't accurate. This is false. This is not reality. My life is not blessed. I need some help right now. If this is you, I'd love to chat with you. Email me, catch me after service, we'll talk. But if we're looking in at your life and it looks a certain way and it looks great and it's not, there's help available. There's help for you. Last story, last story. Greed is about this desire to be free, about stuff, about the way things look. But before we get out of here, it does have an evil, an evil quality to it. It's evil because it can erase the dignity of another person. It's evil because it will use force to get what it wants. And I, don't, I don't know if you've deduced that through this time yet or not, but the thing about greed is that it's not something, it, whatever it may be for you, it's not something you can't get. The deal with greed is that it's fully aware that it can get what it wants. It may be destructive in the process, but you can get what you want. So we've got this story from 2 Samuel. It's about a guy named Amnon and his sister Tamar. And Amnon, the text tells us, is really infatuated with this young lady. And he devises this weird scheme to get alone with her. And once he gets alone with her, he tells what he wants to do. And as Tamar listens, she's like, no, 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 no. We can't do this. This is going to cause disgrace to me. It's going to cause disgrace to you. There's another way around this. Please, 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 no. And the text says, but Amnon would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he made her lay with him. You can get what you want if you're greedy enough. You just have to use a little force. And that's the evil nature, the evil quality of greed. Then Amnon, he hated her. He hated her more than he had loved her. And he said, get up and get out. Did you notice what happened there? And maybe you've done this. And maybe it's not um, a connotation of sexuality in any regard. But you've done something that you would categorize as evil or serious or disastrous. And as soon as you did it, 
you, you regretted it immediately. That twist, that spin, just like that, that's Amnon. I've got to have this gal. He has this gal and then he hates her. And maybe you're here and something in the past is, has filled you to the brim with regret. Maybe to the point of hate. Email me, catch me after service. Let's talk. You know, when monsters attack, especially if you see it on a movie or something, they usually attack when and how. They attack when someone's alone. If you're alone, that's when the monster creeps in and attacks you, right? And maybe that is so true for you because when you're alone, you know the thoughts that go through your mind. You know the temptations you have. You know the struggles. And being alone isn't helpful for you. You remember what God told Cain when he was having that issue with his brother Abel? Notice this language. It gets us back to Jesus. He says, if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. See it coming. Sin is crouching at its door, at your door. And it desires to have you. When you're alone, monsters attack, especially that monster within you. Also, monsters attack in a unique way. It's always based on your vulnerability, right? Why is the girl always walking home at like 2.30 in the morning through the woods with bare feet? Like, really, what's the setup? But you, why are you always doing this? Or why are you always doing that? How does your vulnerability play out? To some people, it may look odd and peculiar and weird, and why would you do that? But to you, for some manipulative reason, it feels right. It makes sense. Monsters attack based on your unique vulnerabilities. Notice what James says. A man is tempted to do wrong when he lets himself be led by what his bad thoughts tell him to do. When he does what his bad thoughts tell him to do, He sins, and when sin completes its work, it brings death. Did you notice in all four of the stories, death dug an early grave for every single character? That's what greed does. Greed digs an early grave for you and me. But there's hope. There's opportunity. There's possibility. There's a way, a road to health and help. And we're going to do this thing. You know, you've heard talk about Northeast and maybe you're in one and you can validate just how helpful it is. This idea of a D group. And we've got a D group workshop coming this Wednesday, 6.30. We want you to be a part of that. This Wednesday evening, 6.30, here, we have a D group workshop. And what you do is you're going to get plugged in with three to five other guys, three to five other gals, so that you're not alone And so that you can talk about your unique vulnerabilities. You're going to have an opportunity to study and read the same biblical text that those in your group are reading and studying. And you're going to connect with each other on a daily basis. And then once a week, you're going to get together and you're going to speak into one another's lives. You're going to hold each other accountable. You're going to ask some hard questions. You're going to say, I'm here for you. This group is here for you. We can work through this together because if there's a monster within you, I bet it's attacking you when you're alone 
and in that unique way in which you're vulnerable. And this is a way where we can come together and get connected in small groups so that we can help each other. You'll have an opportunity to pray and build long-lasting relationships. And over time, you'll get to bring someone else into a group and do for them what's been done for you. So if you're available this Wednesday, 6.30, D Group Workshop, we'd love to have you here so we can get you plugged in and up to speed on what's going on. Good? Fair? Okay, I want you to go ahead and stand. I want you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to have a little, I don't do this often, a little call to repentance. If greed has gripped your life in any of these ways, and we understand there's all kinds of greed, we want to help, we want to walk through this with you, we want to work through it with you. I'm going to be down front to your right. Please reach out. If it's something serious, don't leave here. There's hope and healing available for you. And I look out and I see you guys, and and I know some of you, uh, maybe like Amnon, who was really forceful, and maybe our great God, you need to cry out so that he can, he can work in your heart to soften it a bit. And then some of you, you've got this look going on, but it's really not a reflection of reality. And you need our great God, as hard as it's going to be, to break you apart a little bit. And then some of you, you're trucking through life and things are going really well. I mean, look at the bank account. Look at the driveway. That curb appeal is great. You got the latest and greatest stuff, fantastic. But is there something missing? Maybe you need to say, God, open my eyes so I can see you. And then some of you, you're on this one route and it makes sense, but you're seeing that it's going a different direction from God, just like Eve. Tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, but she wanted something else, something that she was thinking. Maybe you need to surrender and say, God, it's you. It's you. You're the one who needs to be shaping my life. Let's talk. Let's talk. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending us the solution to greed in the form of your son, Jesus, who teaches us what self-control and self-sacrifice really looks like. And Father, for any of us here this morning, any of us who need to say, you know what, there's some stuff I need to control. Give us, the st- give us the strength and the courage to control it. And for any of us who says, you know, there's some things I want, but I'm going to have to make a few sacrifices for what God really wants from me. Guide us so that we'll make those sacrifices. We want to be all in for you, God, because when it comes to you and your love for us, you're all in. And we're asking you to break the grip of greed in our lives. To that end, we pray in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.